Good morning. It's so good to be together this morning. Um, worship team, thank you so much for leading us in that time of praise and worship. And uh, I hope that those songs just really spoke to your heart. You know, we are not alone. Christ is with us. And that's what we're going to be actually looking at um, not only this morning, for the next couple of weeks, God's work in the wilderness in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we're going to have the passages up on the screen. As usual, in this particular series, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. So um, the screen is up there as well. But what we have here is David's life in chapter 20 and 21 is about to take an unexpected detour. Up until chapter 20, David seems to be on a fast track to the throne. Samuel anointed him. You're going to be king. And from that point on, it's like, Everything is just moving quickly. He, he defeats Goliath. He becomes a, a renowned warrior, the best in the, in the army. He's, um, everything he puts his hand to succeeds. He's more popular than Saul. And it just seems like he's on a fast track, like a four-lane highway to get to the throne. It's, he can just see it. It's like it's right there. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we can think that we can tell when God is in something because it's going smoothly and it's going fast and it's just easy. And we can think this must be God. This is like a four-lane highway. But God says to David, I need to put up a detour in your life. I need to put up a detour in your life. It's going to be a detour that's going to help you become a better king and a better man. And God's detour takes David into the wilderness. For the next 10 years, David is going to be in the wilderness. God loves to do a work in his people in the wilderness. Now, in the Bible, the wilderness does not mean the woods and this lush area. It's desert. It's barren. It's brutal. Harsh. That's what the desert is. And God loves to do work in his people in the desert. God had Moses and the Hebrews wander the desert for 40 years. <clears throat> God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice in the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Apostle Paul, after becoming saved, spent the first three years of his salvation in the deserts of Arabia. Now, King Saul didn't have a detour into the wilderness. He did not have a wilderness experience. It was all highway. From the time he was anointed as king, he became king. It was instant to the throne, instant power, instant success, instant fame. It all came very quickly. But there is no such thing as instant character. And what does Saul's kingdom in isn't the hard road he took to get there. It was bad character. And he became a bad king. And God has something better in mind. We're going to see over the next couple of weeks. God has something better in mind for David. God says, okay, detour. You're going into the desert. You're going into the wilderness. I'm going to make you a man after God's heart. 
and I'm going to make you a good king. And God does that in our lives too. God does that in our lives too. There are times when he detours our lives into a wilderness to teach us to hear God's still small voice like Elijah. To weed out the doubt and unbelief and grow our faith like Moses and the Israelites. To help us rely on the spirit of God and the promises of God's word like Jesus. And to teach us about him like Paul. Before we jump in, I just want to say this. We can be sure of this. If Jesus is your savior, if you're trusting in Christ and his finished work on the cross to, to forgive you, to make you right with God, to give you eternal life, the wilderness is not your home. It's not your home. It's not your permanent home. You know what's our home? Bountiful is our home. Abundant life is our home. Because Jesus went into the wilderness of Gethsemane and there suffered the, the blast of loneliness and fear and I don't want to do this for our sake. He went and carried and wore the crown of thorns, the barrenness of sin pounded into his head. Barren thorns crowned, uh, pounded into his head and long spikes nailed into his hands and his feet on the cross. He endured on the cross the barrenness that sin brings, the consequence of sin, so that we might receive eternal and abundant life, that we might know resurrection life and know him forever. So if Jesus is your savior, I want to encourage you, the wilderness is not your permanent home. You might be there right now, but it's not your permanent home. God may have us pitch a tent in the wilderness. But don't build your dream home in the wilderness. That's not your home. It's not my home. So I want to look at some of the terrain in David's wilderness and how God met him there. And how God meets us there as well. The first point I want to make, and let's pause and pray before we do this. Um, but the, this is the first point. The wilderness is a lonely place. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning as we, through your word, enter the wilderness, enter the desert that you took David into. And like David, Father, we, we want to know you better. And sometimes the wilderness is where we get to know you better. Maybe somebody's here and they're in that place. And I pray that you will speak life to them. I pray that you will speak hope. I pray that you will draw their soul close to you. Through this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The wilderness is a lonely place. 1 Samuel chapter 21, let's read verses 1 through 3. Context, David is running for his life from King Saul, who is determined and committed to kill him. Then David came to Nob, the city of Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling 
and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with the matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. David is starving. He's hungry. He's got no place to go. He's on the run. He's wanted as a fugitive. And he comes to a place he's been to many times before. Ahimelech, the priest, knows him, has, has their friends. And he comes to get bread from the tent of meeting. And yet Ahimelech's word to him, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Must have like pierced David's heart. Why am I alone? Why is no one here? I remember the times I would come here with a, a group of men with an army beside me and comrades in arms and we would come here and we would, we would meet and hear from God and we'd have these wonderful times on our way to the mission. Why am I alone? Why is no one with me? Now, David can't tell Ahimelech all that. He wants to keep him out of this whole thing. So he actually tells him something that's not true. He says, I am on a top secret mission. So secret, so hasty. I ran out without food and without a weapon. Now give me food and give me a weapon. And Ahimelech gives him bread. And he gives him Goliath's sword. What I want to draw out for us this morning is that the wilderness is often a lonely place. And God doesn't want us to live a lonely life. So please don't make that an excuse. Yeah, I'm just going to live alone and I'm going to be a hermit and, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to make my entire life. God doesn't want us to live a lonely life. He doesn't want us to live a life alone. God said of Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. We need people we can share life with. We need people who will walk through the valleys and enjoy the mountaintops with us. But the Lord sometimes calls us alone into a wilderness and no one else can enter it with us. It's a season of life that no one else can completely enter with us. Jonathan was with David in spirit, but he couldn't be with him in person in this season, in this desert. And you know what? Maybe we're dealing with something in our lives. Maybe it's a circumstance we're in. Maybe it's, it's a situation we're in, or maybe it's just the landscape of our souls and where we're at emotionally, where our hearts are at emotionally. And we're dealing with something in our hearts, and no one can completely be there with us. Nobody can completely go there with us. Maybe like David, people that we thought were friends turn on us or let us down or disappoint us. Maybe a best friend moves away and the person you would want to go to is gone. There are seasons when I think God leads us to a lonely place to help us learn this. We are never truly alone. For the believer in Christ, we are never truly alone. The Lord is with us. David wrote a lot of psalms while he was on the run 
from Saul. He wrote a lot of psalms while he was in the desert place. For instance, Psalm 142, I want to read one verse from it. Verse 4. David writes this, Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a season where you feel like, I have no one? I have no refuge? Does anybody really care about me? That's where David is. Lonely. Lonely. But in Psalm 62, also written in the wilderness, we see that his loneliness drove him to God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Because, verse 3, your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will cling to you, verse 8. Your right hand upholds me. You see what David's learning? He's alone. He's alone. There's no one with him. He feels like no one cares about him. But in the loneliness of the wilderness, he's learned to thirst for God. And God has that for us as well. We look around the wilderness that David is in. There's something else we see. The wilderness is a place where we feel like we don't have a home, where we belong. We feel uprooted in life. David, in this point in time, he's running. He is, literally has been uprooted from everything and everyone he knows. He has to leave his home. He has to run for his life. And so what he does, and we're not going to read this, but in chapter 21, at the end of the chapter, what he does is he runs for his life. Like, where do I go? Everybody's out to kill me. Where do I go? So he runs to Gath, the city of Gash, Gath, and Achish, the king. And here's the thing about Gath. Gath is a Philistine city. It's the city Goliath came from. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? He runs to the city of the champion that he killed. And I think he must be hoping that nobody will recognize him there. But they bring up the song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. You know what those tens of thousands were? They were Philistines. And that's where he runs. And they recognize him right away. The only way he escapes with his life is by acting like he's insane. So he's got spittle dribbling down his beard. And he's scratching at the door and he's speaking gibberish. Pretty embarrassing. But he gets out of there with his life and he runs. And then, chapter 22, verse 1, he makes his home in a cave. He makes his home in a cave. Chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. 
And David went from there to Mizpech of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. What we see here, David's living in a cave. His family comes to him. They're uprooted too. You know why? Because Saul will kill them in a heartbeat. He knows where they live. He will kill them. So they come to David, and they're like, we need a place to stay as well. And so what David does is he takes his mom and dad. His brothers probably joined his fighting band. But he takes his mom and dad, and he takes them to Moab, which is a city that is, is a, a, an enemy people of Israel. But he takes them there, and he says, can my mom and dad, can my mother and father stay here with you until I know, this is faith, till I know what God is going to do for me. And we might ask, why would he take them to Moab and why would they receive them? But do remember this. David's great-grandmother is Ruth, the Moabitess. Jesse's grandmother is Ruth. And so they have Moabite roots. And so they, he leaves his parents there. But this is a disorienting, this is a disrupting and an uprooting experience. And then verse 2 tells us everyone in distress and in debt and bitter in soul gathered to him. That's not the best news in the world. David once commanded the cream of the crop. Now he's got the bottom of the barrel. He's got the people that are, they're, they're, they have no place to call home either. This is, this is like, how would you like to gather your life? Like, you know, the only one in my life are the people in distress and the people in debt. Can you lend me a few dollars? And the people who are bitter. That's who collects around David because they're outcasts, they're losers, they're refugees, they have no place. And they're drawn to David. And we'll look at this over time, but David took this group of losers and he turned them into a band of brothers and a fighting army. But he has no home. And this isn't a, this isn't a short, this is going to be 10 years practically. See, in our hearts we long for a home. Not, not just a house, a home, a place where we belong, a place where we have roots, where we feel safe. The wilderness can be an uprooting time, a, t a time of displacement, a disorienting time. I've experienced that over, over my life in many different ways where, you know, my home broke up in, in like looking for a place I belonged and I do remember a, a period of time when uh, Janice and I uprooted our family to move from Long Island, where I pastored a church for 10 years, to Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. And it was such a disorienting time. If you've just moved, you know what I'm talking about. There's this disorientation of a new place, new people, new everything. And for me, nothing was familiar. Nothing felt very secure or solid. I was working as a car salesman selling Saturns, never done that before, making $200 a week, guaranteed, and then any commissions, but it was incredibly slow. So there were weeks where $200 was it. Now you try to feed, this isn't, this isn't by the way, 1930, 
I'm not talking about that. This is 2001, 2000. So yeah, inflation's hit a little bit since then, but trying to feed a family of five on $200 a week and pay the rent and the electric bill and the gas, God was faithful, but it was a, it was a, it was a, a challenging time. And um, we left the church that we had been in for, since we got married, and we started attending this new church, and it was a large church, like 1,400 people, and they were incredibly kind to us, incredibly good to us. Um, and I thank God for them. But here's the thing, for me, in my heart, I didn't say this to people, but in my heart, I'm surrounded by wealthy businessmen, by go-getters, by people that have got life, at least it appears, life by the tail. And I am feeling incredibly insecure, like they've got it all together and I feel like a mess. Like I don't even know what life's about. I felt so disoriented. I remember saying, who am I here? Who am I here? And Janice and I would take walks through the neighborhoods and we would look at homes. And I remember feeling a, an envy, not for the house, for the home for the stability to know what next month is going to bring and what next year is going to bring and next I envied that I think God's given us all a natural desire to have a home a place where we belong but here's what we learn in the desert we learn that we are pilgrims here just passing through we are this is not our home don't get too comfortable. You're passing through. Your time in this life is going to be over like that. A vapor, the Bible says. This is not our home. Don't put down roots. I mean, permanent. We are pilgrims. And Jesus said to us, I go to prepare a place, a home for you. And if I go there, I will come back to take you there. That's our eternal home. That's our forever home. That's where our roots are. That's where our heart is to be. And sometimes we get too rooted in this world. And we think we've got it all in this vapor of a life. And God uses the wilderness to loosen our roots, to disorient us, to displace us, so that we begin to long for a home. And like David, we find God is our home. Another psalm he wrote while living in caves was Psalm 59. Here's an example, verses 16 and 17. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. For you, O God, are my fortress, my refuge, my home in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God. On whom I can rely. Uprooted from his home, David learned that God is his refuge and his home, and he is ours as well. Last point is this the wilderness is a merciless place. It is a merciless place. When David lied to Ahimelech, and that's a whole other subject we could get into, but I'm not going to get into that. There's debate on that. But we know this, David thought it was a harmless lie. 
Just a harmless lie. I'm on a secret mission. Give me some food. But a man was there in the temple, Doeg, and he overheard and he saw Ahimelech give David bread and Goliath's sword. And he went right back to Saul and told Saul Ahimelech helped David. And, and so Saul called Ahimelech and all the priests and he said, why did you help him? And Ahimelech's like, I've helped him many times. He's your main man. Why wouldn't I help him? He's been to me many times on missions. Why wouldn't I help him? I know nothing of what's going on. He's your son-in-law. Now that's reasonable. Saul is not. He commands his guard not only to kill Ahimelech, but all 85 priests. The guard, they're too noble. They say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kill 85 of God's priests. So who comes up and says, I'll do it, is Doeg. This guy has no character. He has no character. And he flows very well with Saul. And not only does he kill the 85 priests, he, then they go to the city of Nob and they kill the men and the women and the children. One of Ahimelech's sons escapes and runs to David and tells him what happened. Chapter 22, verses 22 and 23. This is David's answer. David said to Abiathar, this is Ahimelech's son, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. David would never have comprehended that Saul could be so cruel, that Saul could lack such mercy. David takes responsibility because he knew Doeg, Doeg was there and he knew Doeg would tell Saul, but he never imagined how cruel and merciless Saul would be. Think of those fathers and mothers. Think of them crying for mercy even for their children. And yet there was no room for mercy in Saul's heart. None in Doeg's either. You see, driven by his thirst for power, on Saul's quick road to the throne, Saul has become an evil man. He has become a godless man. He's become a cruel man. I love life. I love this beautiful world we live in. We've got this beautiful day today for a picnic, so I don't want to like be a cloud of gloom over us, but you know what? The reality is the world also can be a cruel place. We may not be feeling it right now, although there might be someone here feeling the blasts of, of a cruel situation, but there are people all around the world who are experiencing cruelty. The world, it's a beautiful place. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's a, it's a cruel place as well. Cruel is just another word for merciless. People can be cruel. Nature can be cruel. Disease can be cruel. Poverty Hunger can be cruel. Prejudice can be cruel. Depression can be cruel. Loneliness can be cruel. Accidents can be cruel. 
Somehow I came upon a prayer chain for a family whose 16-month-old son drowned in a koi pond over the Easter, visiting family over Easter. He's been on life support ever since. I signed up for their updates, and he is improving, but he has a long way to go. And I am moved every time I read their faith-filled, pain-filled updates. They are holding on to Jesus. But they are also walking through a cruel wilderness. David feels responsible and he's shocked by Saul's cruelty, by his mercilessness. And in the cave, David wrote Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to, the, to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, merciless. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a, pat, a pit for my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Those, David says, who are chasing me are like lions. They're like ravenous beasts. Their teeth are sharp. Their claws are sharp. They're ready to tear lives apart with no mercy. David knows Saul would show him no mercy if he were to catch up on him, to him. But David calls upon God to show him mercy. He says, have mercy on me, my God. You see, you see how this cruel wilderness has brought David to a personal relationship with God where he says, God, you are my God. You're not just God, you are my God. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. David in the wilderness of cruelty has learned the value of mercy. He's learned the value of mercy. When someone calls out to God for mercy, they are learning how valuable mercy is. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. David is learning to be a merciful king. God is working on him, making him the king God wants him to be. In the wilderness, what we see is David is learning in his loneliness to cling to God. In his homelessness to make God his refuge. And in the cruelty of the wilderness and of Saul, he's learning to make God his mercy. He's learning the value of mercy. In the wilderness, God is working to make David a man after his own heart and a good king. And listen how he finishes Psalm 57. Again, he's on the run. He's living in a cave. My heart, O God, verse 8 through 10. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. 
I will sing and make music. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. See, David looks out and he doesn't just see a cruel world. He doesn't see a merciless world. He sees God's faithfulness. He sees the beauty of God even in the harshness of the desert. God's love reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. I am surrounded. My atmosphere isn't cruelty. My atmosphere isn't loneliness. My atmosphere isn't homelessness. My atmosphere is the, the love and the faithfulness of God. I want to call the band back up. So many good lessons God has for us. We don't like the wilderness. I'll take the highway to good and bountiful every time. Four-lane highway, 70 miles an hour. But God knows what he's doing. And when he detours our lives into a wilderness, it's for our good. It's not for our destruction. Maybe you're in a a wilderness right now. And if you're not, tuck this away. Because you will be one day. Tuck it away. If you're in a cruel time, call upon the God who loves to give mercy. And let it teach you the value of mercy. You got people being cruel to you? You got people being merciless to you? Don't, don't pay back evil for evil. Learn the value of mercy and give mercy to others. Give kindness to others. Let God teach you to rely on him, trust him, and listen to him. The Lord is with us in the lonely place. He is our home when we are uprooted. He is our mercy in a world where mercy can be hard to find. Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Christ, we are never alone. Let's stand together. Oh Lord, we thank you so much. Such a faithful God. Such a faithful God. And Lord, it's encouraging to know that when you're with us, it doesn't mean everything always goes easy. Sometimes, in fact, things go hard because you're with us. But you've got good in the desert. You've got lessons in the wilderness that make us who you want us to be. Holy Spirit, be working in our hearts now, encouraging us, we pray. As we sing and worship you, let our hearts rejoice, no matter what the circumstances we're in might be. For Jesus is our everything, and he is better than life.